Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follier Different, and we're a chart-topping, award-winning dialogue podcast, and we feature real, different conversations about business and life. Today, the legendary super agent and author, Darren Prince. Darren's life story is incredible, and his client list is a stunner. He works with people like Magic Johnson, Hulk Hogan, Dennis Rodman, Charlie Sheen, Ric Flair, Denise Richards, Carmen Electra, Chevy Chase, yeah, that Chevy Chase, and the late Muhammad Ali, Smokin' Joe Frazier, and Evil Knievel, just to name a few. His book is called Aiming High, How a Prominent Sports and Celebrity Agent Hit Bottom at the Top. And in this conversation, we dig into all of it how Darren went from sports memorabilia to super agent. And um, he tells a lot of incredible stories, uh, some great stories about Muhammad Ali and Smoking Joe that uh, you're going to love. And um, also pay special attention to Darren's commitment. He wants to inspire people to overcome addiction and to deal with, um, you know, their mental well-being. And... um, We taped this conversation before the crisis, and I'll tell you, uh, in the context of the crisis, uh, I think this conversation is going to mean even more to even more. This is an extraordinary guy, and I think you're going to love this conversation. Now, in uncertain times, we need visibility and control in our business, and that's where my friends at Oracle NetSuite come in. NetSuite helps you get on top of and stay on top of the critical numbers you need to run your business. With NetSuite, you get complete financials. What's your cash position? What's your cash flow? What are accounts receivable? What's going on with payroll, inventory, orders, and a whole lot more? All in one place, all in the cloud. As a matter of fact, NetSuite is number one in cloud business systems. And, um, you know, I really appreciate that they are our founding sponsor. They've been with us for a long time. And now NetSuite is making a difference for many, many businesses at this tough time around the world. Go to netsuite.com slash different. And there you'll receive your free guide, Managing Business Uncertainty. And you can schedule your free product tour right now. That's at netsuite.com slash different. And today, more than ever, data has become critical for our businesses. And that's where my friends at Splunk come in. They are the category queens and kings of data to everything. And they help you bring data to every question, every decision, and every action. Learn how you can turn data into doing today at splunk.com slash D2E, as in data to everything. That's splunk.com slash D, the number two E. Also, I'd like to thank um, my buddy uh, Jordan Harbinger of the Jordan Harbinger Show. He's one of the podcast OGs, and he was kind enough to introduce me to the legendary Darren Prince. Now, hey-ho, let's go. I'm not really a religious person, so I feel people that are religious are sort of afraid of going to hell, and people that are spiritual have actually been in hell. It's interesting. Um, for some reason, there is a, uh, a place you get to in life if for whatever reason you've had to walk through some serious fire that people who haven't walked through similar fire don't get to. But then, and that's exactly what happened. 
my opiate addiction took me to a place worse than hell. You know, I, I wanted to kill myself every day and not wake up in the morning in the end. And I had all the outside stuff. I had uh, the dream job, the dream life, the clients, the notoriety. But I was living this sick double life. And eventually it was once living to use, turned out to using to live. And I couldn't escape it. And so how does somebody who has all of the external trappings of like extraordinary success. I mean, your client list is absolutely insane. Um, and, and so on one hand, extraordinary life, extraordinary success, and yet this tortured reality. When I speak, which I do so often to, to groups, to colleges, to businesses, I think a lot of it started in my childhood and we all take stuff with us and it stays into our core when we don't speak up. And I didn't have the courage to speak up when I was classified with a severe learning disability and put in very small classrooms that had five or six kids. And it made me always feel different, less than not a part of so uncomfortable in my own skin. What learning disabilities? I just had a tremendously difficult time learning, comprehending English, any sort of foreign language, uh, any type of history. But I did gravitate towards numbers. My father, may he rest in peace. That's what I believe, you know, got me on the right track to find myself in the, in the workforce and become an entrepreneur at 14 years old in 1984. You know, there was something very special. With my brain functioned and worked with numbers as it does to this day. Well, and you, maybe you'll tell me, but in particular, starting out with cards and, and so forth, like it seemed like you had a special ability to do a lot of math to figure out what were the good cards and what to sell them at and what to buy them at. And there's a lot of sort of pattern recognition and mathematical understanding that's required to be a successful card dealer, is there not? Absolutely. You know, you also have to understand trends and, you know, supply and demand. And, you know, you're doing your market research back then without any internet. And that's basically done by looking at trade publications that come out once a week and walking the floor at a big convention and trying to understand the pulse of the industry and the fluctuation of, uh, you know, the value of the cards. And so on one hand, you had this extraordinary gift, but at the same time, you were having a, a hard time with some, what, I don't know, you tell me, would be called normal or basic uh, comprehension. Exactly, exactly. And was verbally teased and verbally bullied because of it by some friends. I remember, I often say when I speak, I walked into the hallway one time and I hear there goes one of the idiots and I look left and uh, I look right. And I thought the hallway was packed with kids and I was the only one there. Huh. And, um, but the funny thing is that kid that called me an idiot 10 years later, wound up calling me something different. He called me boss. <laughs> so a lot of those kids wound up coming to work for me when they needed money and needed an opportunity. Yeah. And so do you think part of your drive comes from being so kind of counted out? hundred percent. I knew that on that day in 1984, that summer day, my first baseball card show, I woke up at five in the morning. I was excited as if it was a little league game, a soccer game. I was all dressed and ready to go. Five in the morning, my parents were sleeping. My grandmother was coming to this and I prepared for two weeks every single night after school to make sure I had the most meticulous eight foot display 
that anybody's ever seen. And I, I split half the table with my friend, Steve, who actually now runs my agency, uh, Steve Simon of Prince Marketing Group. And uh, we laugh about it. He went into it just to have a good time, maybe sell a few cards. I went into it to turn a business out of it. And I knew I arrived. When I walked on that floor that day, there was a sense of self-worth that came over me that I never experienced in my life. I, I felt alive. People were coming over to me. I felt the natural wheeling, dealing, schmoozing, buying, selling, trading. I had the most beautiful display with these gorgeous signs done by a professional typesetter. It was like my own little store. And, um, you know, I, I just needed to prove people wrong. I, I wanted to show people that Darren Prince was somebody. And so you made him eat their words, didn't you, Darren? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and God bless you for doing that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love a good punk rocker. I love a good, you know, don't we all love the Rocky story? Like, you know, we all love the underdog. The, uh, of course. And who can't relate to feeling like at some point in their life that they were living on the island of misfit toys, right? Exactly. So I, I, it will bounce around if that's okay with you. I, you know, I got ADHD. And of course. Like, and there's, I want to do a 15 thousand part mini series with you is what I really want to do because you, you just have lived this fascinating life. And so let me jump to if I could. Tell me about Muhammad Ali. Um, Muhammad Ali was an amazing, amazing man. Uh, I was very blessed to work with Tim and Joe Frazier, another one they were they'll never make two more like them. And uh my first experience with Ali was in nineteen ninety four, in May of nineteen ninety four, my friend Harlan Werner, uh who's his agent for probably almost 30 years. I got connected to Harlan through my friend, Jeff Hamilton, who was a famed leather jacket designer. And I wanted to do an autograph signing with him for my company, Prince of Cards. And I said, let me go to the biggest name out there that I know does these signings. And Harlan took me in under his wing, explained how it would work. I would meet Muhammad and his attorney up at a hotel in Boston. And this is what he would sign. This is how long it takes. This is what it costs. And um, it was like love at first sight. I mean, the minute I walked into the room, he had, his attorney there, he had his assistant, Kim, and Lonnie Ali is amazing, an amazing woman, was there. And uh, I, I just felt, I felt like that feeling almost like at a baseball card show. I was right at home. And uh, he immediately gravitated to me. Back then, he was able to talk a lot more and function a lot more physically um, before the Parkinson's really started to set in. And uh, it was just the most magical, you know, four or five hours I, I had with somebody. And I remember leaving that, um, you know, Muhammad said to me, you know, looking forward to seeing you again. Like, did Muhammad Ali just say looking forward to seeing you again? You know, this was just, uh, just a, a rare, rare human being that knew he was the most famous man on earth, but um, treated everybody the same and uh, had this regal sort of, you know, aura to him that I really have never seen since. You know, you would go into a room and meet him, and I was always so fortunate to bring any friends, family members, work colleagues in to meet them. They were always so gracious about that. And no matter who it was, when they left that room, it felt like you just snapped back into reality, like you were literally in the presence of a God. Wow. What would you want people to know about him that maybe, you know, most of us wouldn't know? You know, he's just a genuine guy. He loved, loved people. Loved, loved people. And... You know, I had so many experiences with him out to dinner in the airports. And uh, there was one time I told Magic Johnson a few months ago, we were driving in New York City and we drove past the Essex house. And I said, I got a great story for you. 
I was like, it was three weeks after Muhammad lit a torch in the Olympics in 1996. And I cut a deal with him in Harlan to sign 1996 of these Olympic torch shining photos. This was right when I was getting out of the memorabilia business. And Muhammad uh, was left in the hotel suite with me and my guy, Alan, and Lonnie and Harlan went shopping. And they said, whatever you do, don't let him leave the hotel room. But okay. They said, if he wants food, just get him some food and order it to him. I said, no problem. They, they're gone for 20 minutes. Muhammad like looks left. He gets up to make sure they're gone and says to me, um, says to me, uh, I'm hungry. I said, okay, what do you want us, What do you want me to get? I'll, I'll go out and grab your food. He goes, McDonald's. Said, okay. So what do you want? He goes, uh-uh. Because we're going to McDonald's. Put that lip. And I go, oh, champ, it's two blocks away. I can't take you out of the hotel. He, I go, and Lonnie maybe gave me specific orders. Do not leave the hotel. Because I'm the boss. I go, oh my gosh, I don't believe this. So he starts putting his sneakers on and, you know, but then he was like kind of wobbling and shaking a little bit, but, you know, he, he was able to, you know, walk pretty good. And I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was just like, this is insane. Like, I'm, first off, I'm going to get chewed out. Secondly, it's going to be everywhere. So me and Alan take him and walk two blocks. And it was the most amazing experience to see cars stop the windows get rolled down on taxi cabs and people screaming and people on horses with, you know, with, with those carriers. And I just, I felt like we were with something bigger than the president and just waving at everybody that classic, like blowing kisses and stopping for the babies and signing his Islamic pamphlets and giving it to people. And then, you know, he made it worse when we got to McDonald's because then he wanted to sit down and eat. He didn't want to bring it back to the hotel. So the whole time I'm panicking, I was like, I have to get him back before they get back to the hotel. And um, I told Harlan I wasn't happy because I was like, this is definitely going to wind up in the newspaper. And I go, what am I supposed to do? You guys left him. And he gave me an attitude and insisted he's the boss because he would never say he's the boss if Lonnie was around. I'm like, I know. I know. So, But it was that's the type of guy he was, just uh, very special, as was Joe Frazier. Thank you for that story. That's so freaking great. I, you know, I can just imagine walking down uh, a street with Muhammad Ali and just he holds court in the world, right? There was nothing like it. Like I said, him and Frazier, I bumped into Lionel Richie at Nobu in LA. I uh, was out with uh, my girlfriend for dinner and he knew me right away because he looked familiar. I thought it was Joe Frazier's agent, worked with Muhammad Ali. He goes, yes, yes, yes. I got the last time he saw it was at Mateo's. He came running out of the restaurant after Joe back in 2010. And Reminded him he used his limousine company. He goes, man, he goes, I miss him. He goes, he was, he goes, both of them were just, they were cut from a different cloth. I said, they were, they were just, uh, there was no ego on either one of those guys unless they were in the boxing ring. And so what can you tell me about Joe? My favorite of all time. I mean, really, he said it best. There's uh, no right way to do wrong and no wrong way to do right. That was Joe Frazier in a nutshell. Um, you know, he believed that God marked you down for the good and God marked you down for the bad. And um, him and Muhammad both were guys that would show up at the airport early because they wanted their fans to get the experience. They were both people's champions. Joe was a very, very, very special man that never got the accolade. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Darren. I just want to make sure I got what you just said. Did you say they would go to the airport early? Early. Both of them. Both of them. So they had time to sign, sign autographs and take photos. Whatever it was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They plan for it. Yeah, exactly. Wow. That's a stunner. Yeah. That really says something, doesn't it? Absolutely. They, yeah. They, uh, like, like I said, they were just, they were cut from a different cloth, both of them. 
And how, tell me about their relationship with them, between them later on in life. I wrote the book Aiming High because of several reasons. Um, mostly I wanted to help people through my opiate addiction to show the world that it doesn't matter if you're from Park Avenue or Park Bench or Yale to jail, that we're all up for grabs with this disease. And my dad, when he was alive, always wanted me to tell the story about Ali and Frazier, especially after Muhammad passed in June of 2016. He felt that was the right time, that I was respectful enough to not talk about it. But I found my hook in the intro to the book. And that was, I did get to experience being in the same room with these two king of kings. And uh, unfortunately, I was high as a cut in opiates because I didn't feel worthy for a single second to be there. But I still knew exactly what was going on felt the emotions, saw Joe walk in and Muhammad was very overweight from between a mix of medication and um, not eating properly. And Joe had a lock in his back leg to get Muhammad under Muhammad's arm and lift him up. And I, I just remember looking, I was like, here's a guy that he was trying to knock down his whole life and he's helping him off the couch. And Muhammad, once Joe got him up, just put his head on Joe's shoulder like a baby. And I heard Lonnie say, Joe, thank you, because Muhammad's just found peace. And, um, man, I mean, Marvis was there. My friend Nick uh, Cordasco is one of my fellow agents. Um, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. Muhammad was just, you could see the tears rolling down his face. And um, Joe, Joe, too. And, um, we had dinner. It was like this king's table. I got one king at the end and the other one at the other end. And Muhammad's best friend, the late Howard Bingham, the famed photographer, was there shooting pictures. And there only six of us. And uh, Muhammad starts right in the middle of dinner. He starts biting that bottom lip. And he goes, Joe Frazier. So he's like, I'm going to get you, the gorilla. And Joe just drops his fork in his food. And he goes, you know what, man? I just whipped your ass for 42 rounds. Do we need to add another one? And I'm like, oh, everybody's <laughs> dying. We were hysterical because we just made peace back there. Man. And I just looked, I go, they were just, they just couldn't help themselves. It, it, it was just, I was like, I cannot believe I'm sitting at the table experiencing this. So right, right after this tender moment. Yep. Muhammad, Muhammad Ali again picks a fight with Joe Frazier. Yeah, like you see Billy Crystal does that little bit, like, like biting the bottom lip and, Oh, hey, Joe Frazier, the gorilla, I'm going to get you in Manila. And Joe just said, man, that's it. He goes, 42 rounds. We just went, I kicked your ass. So I got to add another round? Yeah, and I just started dying. <laughs> it was just like, I was like, there's no way this is going on right now. And then um, we hung out. Lonnie was amazing. She talked to Joe about a doctor that could help him with his back and his diabetes and gave us the information. And she made sure the food was very diabetic friendly for Joe. And when we left, it was, it was magical because Marvis was a reverend. Joe's son was the boxer. And he wanted to do a little prayer. So Marvis, Muhammad, and Ali all grabbed hands and Joe stopped him and he goes, son, I got this. And Joe goes, dear Lord, we have forgotten and we have forgiven. And I ask you to heal this man for his fans around the world, for his family, for his grandkids. And let them appreciate and love him for all he's done for all the people around the world I'm praying for. And the three of them, the tears roll down their face. And me, of course, too. Because I was like, this is, whew. You know, to, 
I still can't talk about it getting emotional because it was um, a blessing, a privilege. I mean, I can't even use the word that was big enough that Darren Prince, a Jewish kid from Livingston, New Jersey, was there in that moment. And um, to these two men, that meant so much more than the boxing ring. Um, I've seen Spielberg in tears, De Niro, Pacino, Jack Nicholson, you name it, I don't care who, who it is. I've spent so much time around those guys that they were the star of stars, no matter what any room they ever walked into the minute they were who they were on this earth. President Clinton, you know, Nelson Mandela, I, I've, I've seen it. I've seen what happens. And here I am, this intimate experience. And the next morning, the NBA calls me. And they knew Joe and I were going to the All-Star game. And they said, hey, we heard Joe. Was Joe with Ali last night? We heard some rumors that he was in his hotel. I go, no, no, we were in the hotel. Um, but we didn't get to see him because I know how private Joe was. So let us ask you, like, we're obviously going to put you guys in what we call celebrity row. Would Joe be okay if he was someone near Muhammad? I go, you could probably try it. I'm like, worst case scenario, I could sit in between them. I don't think it's going to be a big deal. But it's like, yeah, you can go ahead and you know, try it. And they said, okay, here's where you're going to pick up your tickets. And so me, Nick, and Joe get to the arena. We go through security in the VIP area. And they hand us our tickets, seat three, four, and five, center of court. I knew what was going on at that point, And I didn't want to tell Joe. So we get to seat three, four, and five. I'm three. Joe's to my left. Nick's to the right. And one and two are wide open, dead center court on the 50. And uh, as Joe's walking in, you hear smoking Joe, you know, the crowd's going nuts. This is the hometown of Philadelphia and got an amazing greeting. And they were sitting there for about five minutes and you start hearing it. Same greeting. The goat would get any time they walked in somewhere and it was Ali, Ali, Ali. And you see him come with that hand waving and shaking and it was him and Howard Bingham. And Muhammad comes, sits down right next to me in seat two. And Howard's in seat one. And Muhammad gives me a kiss on the cheek. And I'm just sitting. And I was like, this is insane. It's about to go down. And as I say that, Joe leans over. He goes, hey, boss, man. I go, yeah. He goes, switch seats with me. And I'm like, this is, whew. That was like beyond. Because I knew now in front of 140 countries around the world that people were going to see something magnificent about to happen. I got up, I said, champ, the biggest honor in my life. And the minute that happened, you see Kobe and Jordan and Justin Timberlake and Pete Diddy. Justin was with Britney Spears. I mean, everybody ushered. They all started like kind of swooning to come over for photos. No one's happened. And honestly, they don't want it. They were, they were for the most part, just wanted that moment to themselves. They were, you know, actually asking security, no matter who it was, just to, we're okay. Just, just let it, let us do us. And, um, Alicia Keys saying America the Beautiful and Joe was holding Muhammad up and everybody sat down and they were the last two people standing in the arena and the spotlight went right on them and you just heard an eruption like you've never heard in a basketball game and they both sit down eventually and I hear Muhammad say hey champ and Joe goes yeah champ and now I'm out of my mind. I'm like, oh my God, they just called each other champ right next to me. The ultimate sign of respect. They just called each other champ. I cannot believe this is happening in front of me. And Muhammad goes, we're, stu we're still two badass brothers, aren't we? And Joe goes, yes, we are. And I was just like, oh my 
God, just the, just the way that they handled it was just class. And they just, they just knew like Mike Tyson told me a few years ago that Customati used to call them, um, the Capricorn Kings. And a lot of people don't know Ali, Fra- Ali Frazier and Former and we're all Capricorns born within nine days apart in January. And he, because they just look down on people, they know their greatness, man. He goes, Cus would always tell me, you got to be like them Capricorn Kings, uh, because that was, you know, the, the cloth that he came from. And, you know, they just had it in that moment. They didn't need to freaking open up their mouth. They just still knew they were the baddest two men on the planet. And, uh, you know, they just handled with such class. And, you know, they had conversations throughout the game. And, you know, it, it was just breathtaking to experience that. You know, I could talk about it for an hour. It was, uh, one of the special moments of my life. And hey, congratulations for being the guy that architected that moment for the world. And Harlan Werner. Unfortunately, Harlan was on a way to make it. He was stuck in Vegas at a big conference. And, uh, you know, he handled Ali's side and just said, you are not missing this meeting, Darren. This is historic. You got to go with Alan. Don't worry about it. And uh, so I did. And so maybe let me ask you to be... Uh some people might call it a modest, but you know, was it Kid Rock who said it, it ain't lying MF or if it's the truth or, or what did he say? It, no, it ain't bragging motherfucker if it's the truth or something like that. Right. So right. how do you get to be the guy, Darren, that represents those two guys by way of example? I think a lot of it was my father just always told me good values and it's not what you say, it's what you do. Um, your reputation's the hardest thing to uphold and the easiest thing to lose. You only get one chance at it. Dad was really big on when my celebrities were in town or anything I was doing with them, whether it was back when I had my memorabilia company or when I started the agency, Prince Marketing Group, always find time to grab lunch or dinner. Don't always make it about the business. Anybody can make them money or bring opportunities. You know, call them up on the holidays, send something during Christmas, uh, you know, let them know you're thinking about them on Thanksgiving. All those little things that was always instilled in me where, you know, when they shined, I was right there with them and they felt pain. I was right there with them. And, um, I was somebody that they can, can talk to. And, uh, it's actually helped me tremendously in my business. I mean, yesterday I landed with my girl, Sarah from Miami. I had two speaking engagements and the launch of my foundation, aiming high foundation Monday in West Palm beach. Uh, my new five one C three and I landed and Carmen Electra wasn't feeling well. She has an appearance in Pittsburgh this weekend. Denise Richards wanted her flight changed um, for the same event in Pittsburgh. Hulk Hogan still struggling to walk again after the back surgery, all these little things I'm dealing with, but every one of those calls that I was on ended with you good. Love you. Call me later. It was so personal. And all that stuff came from when, you know, I started with the guys like Ollie and Frazier that I made it so much more about the relationship than the business. Dennis Robin and I have one hour phone calls just about life and just making sure his head's in the right place. Uh, I have it with every single one of them. Charlie Sheen, I was at his house a week and a half ago. We spoke business for two minutes. I was there for 45 minutes. It was just life. Yeah. You know. And so Hulk Hogan's back problem is your problem. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, when he was in surgery for eight hours, three weeks ago, I'm texting Brooke and Nick. I didn't want to bother Jennifer. And, you know, because I know she was overwhelmed making sure he came through. And, yeah, you deal with that stuff, man. Oof. I mean, you, know, you get to love them like your family. I mean, 
I saw Burt Reynolds, road manager, at my event two nights ago, and Burt passed over a year ago, and we still keep in touch. He came to support me. Burt was very near and dear to me. You know, um, you know, they 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 be, they're, they're people. I know what they mean to the world, but I know what they mean to me. And um, you know, I think that's also what's allowed me to be the man behind the man and the man behind the woman because I actually care. You're, you're in a lot of ways. Uh... You're as much in the empathy business as you are in the deal-making business, aren't you? 100%. Very true. And I was amazed to hear, uh, Darren, uh, the degree to which you go to take care of your clients. Always. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the great passions you know, that, that, that I have because I know in this industry that there's such little trust and so many of them are taken advantage of. and. Um, you know, Magic Johnson was my first client. He's the reason I'm in the position I am today with Prince Marketing Group, and uh, still is. And uh, you know, we saw each other last Saturday in Chicago, right before he went to East Lansing uh, to be with his family for the holidays. And every time it ends with that huge hug, "I love you, boy." You know, it's just you know, it's uh, it's, it's 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 amazing that you uh, you know you're able to get inside some of these people's lives and world. And, uh, you know, if you do the right thing, the relationships that can come from it, from people that really don't trust because they've been screwed over so often that they're very, very guarded. It's interesting that you say that because, you know, Hollywood has this reputation, dog eat dog, and, you know, everybody's suing everybody and fighting and egos and all this sort of stuff. And yet here you are, literally the top of your world. And you're telling me it's about relationships. Absolutely. It's about reputation. Absolutely. It's about reputation and relationships. Anybody can make some of these stars and these icons and these music artists money. It's about relationships. You know, and I look at some of, you know, the younger game changers in the management business. Larry Rudolph's a dear friend of mine who discovered Britney Spears. I was texting with him a couple of weeks because Scooter Braun is magnificent when he's accomplished. Um, you could see a social media posting. I'm close with Scooter too. Like, you know, it's it's the relationships, you know, and and, and when you care and you're there for them at their darkest time, and when you understand what makes them tick, and you're able to check in and just treat them like any other family member. The money comes. The money's easy when you're dealing with people like that of, of, of that magnitude and, and the icons, the cultural icons and phenomenons that I represent. You know, show them what makes you a little bit different. You know, there's never a phone call where I'll speak to Hulk Hogan and I'm off in two minutes. There might be business for two minutes and then it's life for 10. Yeah. Same thing with Ric Flair. Ric Flair never wants to get off the phone. It's a good 15, 20 minute <laughs> talk every time. Chevy Chase, I was with them yesterday and we're in the middle of these amazing Q&A tours and movie screenings. And I walked into, uh, I walked into the hotel suite. I haven't seen him in like five days. We were in Spokane, Washington. I um, met him and his wife. and. Uh, he wouldn't get up from the chair. I go, Chevy, where's our hug? Come on. Where's the hug? He goes, I haven't seen you in five days. I'm like, I know. He goes, all right, hold on. And he was signing some stuff for somebody. And five minutes later, he gets up with that Clark Riswell personnel. Come here, Darren. Come here. <laughs> I love you, buddy. I, 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 I love you. I love you. And he pats me on my bald head. <laughs> you know, so... You know, it's moments like that, you know. I mean, that movie, Christmas Vacation, is one of the greatest gifts to the world ever given. <laughs> Amazing. 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 I know. I mean, Carmen and I were talking yesterday because we have a screening 
at the Microsoft Theater Mall, and she might come. And she goes, I still can't believe you put me on the phone with Chevy Chase. And then Denise Richards is like, how long are you back in town? And what do you, what's your schedule this week? And I told her, because I love him. And Carmen's like, I love him. And then I got this yesterday. This is a picture from the Fletch movie. Oh, yeah. It. That's great. And I got it I got it signed for Jeannie Buss, the Lakers owner. Yeah. And she freaked out when I sent it to her. She goes, Oh my God. She goes, I love this. Thank you so much. She goes, such a classic. And um yeah, so I mean he's just he's got so many fans around the world. And I think at seventy six years old, this tour might have been the best thing that's ever happened to him because he's starting to realize how truly loved and worshipped he is for the talent of uh giving laughter. Yeah the gift of giving laughter to the world, fun. which creates so much healing and happiness. You know, I love it. Now I also, I got to ask you about evil Knievel. Uh, he, he was a one of a kind, man. There was, um, that, that was a very, very special man and rough around the edges for a little bit. And then I really started to understand them. And I remember about mm, a couple months before he passed, he called me up one day. We're in the middle of doing a commercial for eBay his lunchbox that was bouncing across the screen one of the lunchboxes from the 1970s is the evil knievel lunchbox the greatest lunchbox of all time is there, uh, is there a question about ever. this <laughs> who didn't who didn't have that in the little motorcycle thing with the plastic string and he would just pull it and the motorcycle would go it was that my childhood i think uh, thousands of hours of joy yep yep and um so he, he calls me up and he goes, Darren, I love Muhammad Ali, dear friend, and smoking Joe Frazier. Hulk Hogan, love him. We both live down in Clearwater. Magic Johnson, man, do I have respect for that man. But there's a lot of great boxers, a lot of great basketball players, and there's a bunch of iconic wrestlers. But there's only one goddamn evil can evil, <laughs> and there's never going to be another one. You know, and I used to love that about him. And he goes, and this... He goes, and this son of a bitch crashed and burned a lot more times than he ever failed. But you know what? I got my goddamn ass up, and that's what makes me a winner. And uh, I just love, you know, he, he, he was a special man. And um, I got him when he sort of became born again. And the last couple of years of his life, he started softening up and just called me as I wrote about my book two days before he passed. It was like any other day. He was having trouble breathing with the ventilator, and they had the morphine pump in his back always from the pain. and. Just said, hey, Darren, just wanted to call you. We just finished the deal for an online slot machine, a really big licensing deal. I wanted to thank you, buddy, because for always working so hard for me, and um, I really think the world of you. I never had somebody put those words into a sentence like that. I mean, I remember crying because you know, here's my childhood telling me that, you know? And I really want to let you know I think the world of you. And then uh, two days later, I came back from the gym, and Steve in my office goes, Dude, I got some bad news. Have you spoken to Crystal, his wife? I don't know. He goes, it's all over the internet that Evil Knievel passed away. And that, that, that was the first time I lost a client. It was really tough. Really tough. Yeah. Well, I'm stoked you got to represent him and got to build that relationship with him and, and make those memories with him, Darren. That's awesome. Look, the way I say it, I think it was Ali, Elvis, Pele, and Evil Knievel. Those were... Those were the guys, you know. It's like, uh, never got to meet Elvis. I worked with Pele. I think Joe Frazier should have been in that category, but he was very blue-collar. He didn't care about the notoriety like Ali did. I think when Joe passed, he got that notoriety. He was front and center on the world stage like never before on November 7th, 2011. And um, 
I know he felt it. I know he felt it. His family felt it. He finally got the, the accolades he deserved. There'd be no Ali without Fraser. There'd be no Fraser without Ali. Yeah. Very powerful. Well, Darren, I, I could talk to you forever. I got a million questions about your own life and about much of your clients. I did want to make sure, I, I know how committed you are to um, this recovery conversation. And as someone who, you know, in my own life right now, not recovery with drugs, but I'm, I'm having to walk through some serious fire right now in my life. Um, and so I'm curious, whatever the source of the fire is, whatever the source of the pain and suffering is, you know, what would you share with me about walking through fire and coming out the other side? You know, I, I appreciate you, you know, being open. But, um, to, to me, you know, it's about recognizing that there's some challenges because we're never too old or young to make changes. And the five A's, as I call them, changed my friggin' life, which I call attitude adjustment, accountability, action, and acceptance. And I think those five A's put together can transform everybody if you take an action on each one of them on a consistent basis. And uh, it's like Tony Robbins says, uh, I listen to him all the time. Joel Olsen's a good friend. A lot of the huge podcast guys are good friends of mine. Jordan Harvard or Lewis Howes, Jay Shetty, Gary Vaynerchuk's my boy. And you know, I love what they push out there because, you know, look, everybody's got challenges no matter what your background is or isn't. And it's, the adversity in our lives that define us more than anything, you know, how we've risen after we've fallen. And, uh, my life coach, John Albino is actually in town. He's a master NLP, uh, certified tech and he's in town doing a couple sessions with me. And we were talking last night, looking around my place at some of the photos and he's like, you realize, bro, because this is all just BS because you know, you found your calling. I was like, it's not even close. I was like, the agency life is cool and great, but that led me to where God wanted me to really be, which uh, I want to be a game changer in the world of addiction, recovery, and mental health, and uh, you know, push my story out there to show the world that I, you can be comfortable talking about the uncomfortable. You, know, you can take your darkest of days and your brightest of lights can come from those moments. You know, you can push the reset button on your life at any point. Again, doesn't matter where you're from, you know, and it's not where you're at in life, not where you're from in life, it's where you're at. Yeah. You know, you can leave the past in the past and it's okay to look at it. Just don't stare at it too long. I, I say, you know, all those moments in my life, I don't have any regrets. I don't, I don't say, I wish I should have done this differently. You know, I, uh, I've been very blessed and very fortunate because of this incredible spiritual journey and 12 step fellowship that I'm a part of. And I attend meetings around the world so often. And in, LA where I live, um, you know, my perspective and perceptions changed on everything in my life. I'm so much the glass is half full instead of the half empty. And I've learned different techniques about being a better person now. There's no more ego. That ego's left at the door. I'm not Darren Prince the agent. I'm Darren Prince the degenerate drug addict looking to keep this gift one more day by giving it away to the rest of the world. Because if I remember that, everything else falls into place. Anything I put before my recovery, I'm going to lose. And, you know, it's a great place to be because I finally know that I've arrived and I'm able to 
look in the mirror now and take that deep breath and be like, oh, find the person that I've wanted to be instead of the person I was trying to be. And to see the magic come on in so many different people's eyes happen at FIU University in Miami two days ago. Uh, speaking of a group where two people's lives were directly changed by some God-given words that came out of my mouth during my presentation. And I speak, like I said, I spoke over 50 keynotes last year. Um, it's, it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life for the longest amount of time. I finally built that self-esteem from doing these esteemable acts. It wasn't Raleigh and Fraser or Magic Johnson or Hulk Hogan or Dennis Rodman. It came from being a giver, you know, with this incredible precious gift of recovery and sobriety that I have because I tell people recovery is a gift and I don't take it lightly. You know, it's, uh, there's so many people struggling right now. We've probably lost eight to 10 lives in America right now during this interview from the Soviet epidemic. Yeah. And of course you have a very real experience of there, but for the grace of God, go I, right? That could have been you. Yes. Yes. Should have been me. Whatever reason, when I fell on my knees on July second, two thousand eight, and calling out for his help like I've never done before in my life, I wasn't a religious person, and I said, "I can't do this anymore. Take the money to notoriety, the business. I don't care. I need a single day of freedom." And I stood up and I flushed the last of my opiates, and I went in a twelve-step meeting. Twenty minutes later, looking up at the top of the church and saying, "Holy crap!" For the first time in my life, I wanted to stay sober more than I wanted to stay high. What the heck just happened? And I threw my hand right up. They said, is anybody sick, suffering, new, or needing help? And there was no shame. There was no ego. You know, I surrendered. And um, after I threw my hand up, I said, my name's Darren. I'm an addict. I need help. I'm sick. I'm suffering. I'm suicidal. I had about a dozen spiritual brothers and sisters that came over and uh, gave me their number, put their arms around me, and said, we know how you feel. We've been there. But we're going to show you the softer, easier way to this most amazing life. All you need to do is suit up and show up and, and, and stay away from any thoughts of a relapse. And if you're thinking about relapsing, you give us a call. And uh, they, they changed my life. I'm um, you know, forever indebted to the fellowship. I'm forever indebted to the world of recovery. Um, I'm linked up and hooked into the Mount Rushmore Recovery Advocates. Chris Heron, who does it better than anybody. Brandon Novak came to my event two days ago to introduce me tim ryan jennifer jimenez you know i'm a rep for banning treatment centers they have 11 properties in four different states uh there's nothing better than giving people scholarship treatment if they can't afford it but this comes first you know, we can have fun all day long talking about the sports stuff and the celebrity stuff and that's great i get it it's what people you know are really excited to hear about but everybody's got something in today's world that they're struggling with so i i do like to push the message of hope and recovery out there because that's uh that's what's made me make you know uh, i'm gonna have a hard time not losing my shit um so i just want to thank you for the example that you are yeah i've had it a few times this week people say it. sometimes it's um it's a lot to take in because somebody at the meeting the other day that, that i was at said how do you how do you sit here and sometimes say why not me that you were the one that was touched i said look i still struggle with it i said i'm human you know the emotions come and when you can indirectly and we're going to do it on this man a lot of people are going to get excited about ali and fraser i guarantee you people watching this podcast we're going to save a life or two we're going to change a life or two 
you know, and that's what it's about. But, um, whatever reason I was touched, and like, like I said, it's why it comes first in my life that, um, why not me? I started saying, yeah. And Darren Prince needed God in his life, higher power, whatever you want to call it for such a long time. But then I started getting these signs after my dad passed away that God actually needed me. That's what I said. Look, I own my own agency. I know what Magic Johnson and Hulk Hogan and Dennis Rahman think about my journey. Magic wrote the forward to my book. Mark Cuban gave me a testimony. Dr. Drew, Jeannie Botts, the list goes on and on. And I'm in a position where, yeah, there's a stigma, but I own my own agency. And I don't think most agents could use their platform in the industry to kind of then mix in their darkest of shit. And I can and it's you know, been the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. And it's incredibly inspiring. Um, and I think not, I mean, there's an addiction conversation to be had and you have it very powerfully. And I, at least for me, that's not what's going on for me. It's even bigger than that. You are an example of uh, somebody who walked through the fire, leaned heavily on their family, friends, and faith to get there. And is willing is willing to talk about it, and to your point, use your platform to talk about it. So you're an inspiration. Thank you for that. I mean, I, I, I like I said earlier, to feel so comfortable talking about the uncomfortable is just a feeling I can never explain. I mean, the more people, the better. I can go in front of Wembley Stadium and talk to people like I am now. It's just a. Uh, a state of euphoria between me and my God when I'm in that moment, knowing that I'm going to change and save a life. And you don't even need to be suffering from addiction to understand that. It's that, like you said, it's going through the darkest, roughest stuff to know that you can come out of the other side. Generalize that simply. And uh, I'll tell you something pretty crazy. I could talk about these God-managed coincidences. Something in time will come. A blessing takes time. You know, nobody knows when or why. You just have to go through the pain and the emotions and the heartache um, to come through the other side without getting sidetracked. I've heard people come into 12-step meetings that have lost their children, and their perspective on it is just absolutely freaking mind-blowing. That they had that child for X amount of years. They got to experience that type of love. They would have rather experienced than never have it before in their lifetime. You walk in there, walk out of there just shaking their head. The people like Mike Tyson told me that are in AA and NA in the fellowship because he's gone. But I had Dennis Roman on his podcast and he pulled me into the studio a couple months ago and had me on for a second. He goes, Darren, some of the best people I met are in your fellowship, the best people in the world. So I'm around this group of spiritual brothers and sisters and we do become world changers and healers in our own life for earth people that are dealing with catastrophic, horrendous situations. It's interesting. One of the other things I'm reminded of, my dear friend, the legendary writer, Dushka Zapata, a story she shared with me, she's a yogi, uh, and she was sharing about a yoga class, and they were about to end the class and go into Shavasana. And the yoga instructor, as they were sort of setting up for that, said, put your hand on a part of your body that you want to uh, spend, send healing to that you want to heal. And so Dushka shared how, you know, she laid down and she sort of squinted open an eye to see where people's hands were. And she said, it looked like approximately 70% of the room had their hand on their heart. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. 
look, I've healed. So for me, it's about getting that spiritual energy up each and every day to give it out to the universe. I'm in that place. Like I said, there's, you know, I'm fully transparent. I got no more regrets. I, I've, I've, I've arrived to this most amazing place that most people on earth will never get to. To just look at myself in the mirror and just love every single thing I represent and, and, and what it took me to get on this journey. Um, and again, I'm a simple guy now. I'm wearing sweatpants. It's not about the diamonds and the cars and the houses. And but you look so great in the sweatpants. <laughs> you know, I know. I know. I could, you know, I, I could, uh, you know, I, I, I could buy whatever I want. That's, that's not what life's about for me anymore. You know, I've, I've truly been able to get into my own skin. And um, like I said, you, can, you and I can have this amazing emotional moment together. I know we're going to change and save some lives. I had it happen at FIU the other day where a woman broke down during the Q&A and said her, she lost her brother a few weeks ago to opiates and alcohol. And that she heard her brother in that room and I was speaking. So powerful. There was a student in the front row when I was done that said, Mr. Prince, you came to our school four months ago. I had my relapse plan. I really was planning on overdosing. I didn't think I wanted to live anymore. But because I heard you were coming, I came to hear you speak. And I've continued my path to sobriety because you came here that day. And it's just, I hear these stories constantly. It's just, uh, just amazing. And it's not me because I'm nobody special. I tell people, my God is very special. Well, uh, I agree with you that God is very special. And uh, I disagree with you. I think you're very special too. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that, but you know, humility and keeping my ego checked at the door is very yes. important to me. You know, is, is a healthy thing. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite expressions is, "You will either be humble in life or humbled by life." Exactly. Yeah. Now, Darren, is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap, my friend? That's it, man. I mean, outside of the fact that we launched my foundation. Uh, yeah, tell me about www.aiminghigh.org. Uh, it's a 501c3 charity. All the proceeds are going to be used to treat people that are unfortunately able to pay for treatment for addiction, substance abuse, and mental health disorders. Um, I'm also, like I said, I'm a rep for Banyan Treatment Centers. 888-6-DARREN, D-A-R-R-E-N, is my call center number. I'll actually reach out to people personally if they want to talk and they need help or Instagram is also another great way to get me at agent underscore DP. And I'm known for everybody that'll tell you random that writes in or messages me. I'll personally call you. And if you're struggling, whatever, whatever it is, I'm more than happy to reach out and find the time because like I said, I can't keep this gift myself unless I give it away. And uh, it's truly been the greatest experience of my life. The best thing I've done for myself for the longest amount of time. Darren, thank you so much. You're a legend. I deeply appreciate this time. And I hope you'll come back. You're welcome anytime. And uh, I'd love to have you back. Thanks, bro. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Well, there he is, Super Agent Darren Prince. Uh, and I sure hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. All right. We would like to thank the legend himself, Darren Prince. Thank you. You're welcome back anytime, Darren. Uh, you can find him on the internet at officialdarrenprince.com or 
princemarketinggroup.com. Dushka Zapata, at a time like this, uh, more Dushka is the answer. Uh, one of her more recent books is called Love Yourself and Other Insurgent Acts That Recast Everything. Check out Dushka Zapata on Amazon.com. My dear friends at OneLifeFullyLived.org, helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. And man, we're all trying to get that done, aren't we? Check out the number one, LifeFullyLived.org. GrowWire.com. For entrepreneurial folks, stories of innovation, uh, visit GrowWire.com. Uh, one of my favorite businesses ever, John's Crazy Socks. Why buy boring socks when you can have John's Crazy Socks? Visit johnscrazysocks.com. I don't know, is there a John's Crazy Fox? It's definitely socks. <laughs> My friends at uh, Bottleneck Virtual Assistants have been um, physical distancing long before physical distancing became a thing. If you want to check out the power of a virtual assistant, visit bottleneck.online today. And my friends at Atranet have been building B2B websites in Silicon Valley for more than 20 years. Visit atre.net. And this oddcast is taped using the uh, powerful technology of squadcast.fm. If you want professional uh, podcasting technology, visit squadcast.fm. And if you're in a position to help, let's, uh, let's do all we can, we can uh, to help. So uh, please remember your places of worship, our hospitals, our NGOs, and anyone else in your community or world that's uh, making a difference in this crisis. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. We love it when you share the shit out of it. Thank you so much. All rights do remain perturbed. Uh, clearly, this oddcast gets created in a studio that does contain nuts. We are produced by living uh, podcast legend Jason DeFilippo. Technical awesomeness, uh, Lockhead.com, and much more by Jamie J and Sarah Knox. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Remember, spread podcasts, not viruses. Let's try and support our local restaurants. Uh, listen to the soothing sounds of Katie Lang. Thank you so much, our healthcare heroes. Thank you so much, our retail and supply chain heroes. Uh, love you, Candy Dandy. Thank you, Mom and Dad. And uh, hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to former CEO of Symantec, Greg Clark. Sorry, Greg, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay healthy, stay legendary. And until we're together again, follow your different. <laughs>